Welcome to a tale of two rivals. A fantasy football podcast put on by your three-peat trash-talking, go-with-your-gut champion and a number-loving, spreadsheet-obsessed nerd to try to find some sort of consensus to bring to you, our fantasy football consumer, the best possible podcast we can think of. Who am I joined by? You're joined by FF underscore Spaceman Dave Wright, Mr. Foster. It's pleasant to be back with you, sir. We have not recorded in a little bit. We did. We recorded an episode, and then we waited a week before we released it. So it's been a freaking minute. I'm looking forward to this. Uh, man, we actually had our co-host, Sean, on with us before the show, but his technology crapped a bet on him, so we kicked him out because I didn't want to deal with it in the editing. So sorry. Sorry, he, he tried to come back, but we said no thanks. His, his microphone was adjusting to the point where it wanted to clip him out because his takes were so bad, it was trying to tell him, you shouldn't be on the show. The microphone was like, not today, Sean. Not today. So it usually happens to Todd a lot, but uh, for some reason it happened to Sean. So I'm sorry. The three P champion said what? Oh, that's right. I just said what? Sorry, Todd. You clipped there. Can you say that again? <laughs> Shut up. I didn't surprised you didn't hop on that and say, "Oh yeah, Sean." Sure, say I'm a three time champion again. <laughs> I love it. Uh, what's been going on with you, man? Not too much, man. Uh, been really busy in the fantasy stuff. Right, I've written a couple articles. Rashad Bateman for DLF, and then I just did Trey Lance for DLF, and I actually had to watch some film, and by watching film, I watched some <laughs> YouTube clips and used some stats to pretend to look like I read the, watched the film. So I was like, oh, look at this deep ball, and I just wrote, and his A dot per PFF is, <laughs> so that's that's how I, I did the film. Did you watch? Did you watch Just Bomb Productions? That was one of them. I actually had to look up Just Bomb Productions <laughs> on Twitter. Like highlight stuff, dude. It's good stuff. I like it. it. It felt weird. It felt weird. I wanted to just write, hey, I don't do this stuff, and just move on to the next section of the article, but eh, you know what you do. Trying to, to expand, Todd. Expand my repertoire. I, I'm I, I'm good to hear that it felt odd actually watching football. I thought I was... I actually went clicked on a couple of rugby clips. That's what I thought I was supposed to be watching, so I got really confused. That's okay, buddy. Some some someday you'll understand the game. I've been pretty busy with uh, fantasy stuff too. You know, profiles are wrapping up, editing's going on, so that magazine's going to be dropping. Uh, I will be uh, one of the hosts on a live stream for the IDP guys on the first day of the draft, and I p- might be appearing on the second day too. Kind of see where my schedule's at for that. And we have a pretty cool series going out with that. Uh, I organized uh, twelve experts. It's the eleven guys from the IDP guys and uh, Jason Spies from dynasty nerds came on and we did a 12 team mock but the difference is it's a super flex ppr titan premium and idp uh, if you're looking in the idp that's a good piece to look at idp guys lots of good minds in there dropping analysis in every pick 12 different writers on that article it's, it was fun dude and uh yeah wrapping up the unified season it's freaking awesome and uh works nuts so i'm happy to be on the mics man david should we just get in the question of the day well, we better because you wrote an entire essay on your part. So, yeah, we better get into the question today. I'm sorry I'm thorough, Dave. Okay? I'm sorry I'm thorough. All right. The question of the day. If you could undo one trade in sports history, what would it be? Dave, I'll let you start, though. So this one was 
difficult for me because I read Todd's notes first, and he had so many excellent, excellent trades that he discussed. And I'm not sure if I'm just at a different point in my fandom with with sports, but a lot of them didn't cut me like they did, like I thought they did. Like I, I thought about the Richard Seymour trade, and that ended up working out for the Patriots because they got uh, the left tackle Nate Solder from that eventually. Even though I was a big Richard Seymour fan, the, Logan Mankins hurt. There was also, you know, there was a couple Celtics trades that bothered me, and some like Joe uh, Joe Thornton being traded away was was hurt for a Bruins fan. But and then John Lester also being traded away hurt a lot because I never was a big Yannis, uh, Yoinis Cespedes fan. And I, John Lester was one of my favorite Red Sox pitchers. But ultimately, I settled on no Mark Garcia Parra being traded away. And a lot of people probably are, would be surprised to hear that because a lot of people claim that it was like the fire starter that, that started that championship run for the Red Sox. I still think it could have happened with Nomar. Things reset. They gave him his contract. And all that stuff actually was sorted out. I think they could have won with Nomar. Actually, it would have been a better team with Nomar. And the most part was no more was is rookie of the year, I believe in 95. And that's when my, I was like seven or eight years old, my peak base, uh, loving baseball, just getting into it. And then all the way to, I think that was 2004 that, 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 that trade happened. So that was essentially my entire, like a huge chunk of my baseball life. I looked up to no more. I did the batting gloves thing. I threw sidearm in the hole like he did. And to see him trade away was devastating. So as a fan, that one really hurt me, Todd, was seeing no more Garcia Parra trade away. Dude, I freaking loved Nomar. That's a great call, man. Um, I mean, the bat, the tap, and the batting gloves I used, that that's iconic, man. That's just good stuff. And Nomar was, like, such a likable dude, too. So that's a good call, man. So, yeah, so, like, Dave said, like, I have, like, a bunch of honorable mentions I'll go through. But, so there's been a lot of tr- uh, terrible trades in history. So, as you can tell, Dave and I are both from Mass. So, uh, as a Mass guy, I mean, I could say Babe Ruth, obviously. But I- I'm going to stick to my hometown and say something from my time as a fan. So I had uh, four trades and honorable mentions. 1998, the Celtics traded a rookie named Chauncey Billups in a package for an aging Kenny Anderson. And Anderson actually wasn't bad for the Celtics, but like Billups turned into be like a phenomenally just steady, great leader, awesome suitor, very efficient player. That hurt. The Patriots traded a second and a third round pick for Chad Jackson. And I was excited for that pick and I loved it in the moment because I thought... Jackson was a heck of a player coming out of Florida, but he was a bust. Anthony Rizzo was a minor league prospect that we traded away for Adrian Gonzalez. That one stung. The one that really sticks out to me is who we traded for Larry Anderson, a mid-relief pitcher that we needed for a pennant run for the Sox, and we traded away Jeff Bagwell. So uh, that one stung. But I'm a massive basketball fan, a huge Celtics fan, and nothing cut as deep as in 2002... When we traded away the number 10 pick of that previous draft, Joe Johnson, in his rookie year, and a first for Tony Delk and Rodney Rodney. I remember when we traded, I was upset about losing Joe Johnson, but I got it. Like, I understand why they made the move, because they were they got two vets in the middle of a playoff run. They ended up going to the Eastern Conference Final and losing the six games to the Nets. We ended up getting obliterated by the Lakers. But you gave up a prolific all-around scorer with tons of potential. And you got a couple of aging players and you didn't really do anything with it. So it hurt to see Johnson walk away because you know what they could have done to build around him. But ultimately, like, it is what it is. Like, if Johnson sticked around, you you know, you might not have been in the situation to see, like, Pierce, Ray Allen, and KG come to fruition. Like, you know, totally changes everything later on. But yeah, Joe Johnson, man, hell of a score. Like, easy 20 points in this game on the prime. 
sick ISO player, great mid-range game. That one hurt. Todd, I played a lot with Tony Delk in NBA Live 99 with Antoine Walker on the cover. So I I think I, knowing just how much I played that game, I think, did Tony Delk, was he from Kentucky? Was that his college? <laughs> yeah, he was a point guard for Kentucky. So that's where I got a lot of my early, not, like my late 90s basketball knowledge was playing a ton of 99 NBA Live. <laughs> that's the drop from playing video games to Tony Delk go to Kentucky. Dynamite drop it, Dave. I love it, man. That's awesome. All right. So, topic clarification. So, tonight's topic, we're going to be doing rookie sleepers. So, the term sleepers thrown around in the fantasy community very lightly. Uh, so, a sleeper is essentially a late-round pick that you that you believe potentially will give a significant return on your investment. So, for this episode, we try to whittle that down. So, we use the DLF rookie ADP. And we're also going to refer to my Superflex rankings over at the IDP guys for as another point of reference. And for someone who qualifies as a sleeper, that player's March ADP had to be 24 or higher. So sweepers would start in the third round of a 12-team draft. So Dave, could you, uh, why don't you rant a little bit about this, buddy? Well, the term sleeper kind of makes me reminisce for a forgotten era when there was as much information, there weren't as many people creating content, or maybe I just didn't know as much about fantasy football and there felt like there were sleepers. Feels like sleepers are a thing of the past, at least for people like you and I, Todd, who are this deep into face football. But that's and that's not necessarily true because according to our definition, they obviously exist because there's undervalued players that are going to do better than projected and all, all those lines. But identifying those players is actually pretty complicated, in my opinion, because with how much information is out there and how many different philosophies are out there, it's tough to just do one thing to get ahead of the curve and identify these sleepers. However, these are the kind of things that I try and look for to find a sleeper. I think it's one is when you're listening to podcasts or reading articles or on Twitter, you try to identify these popular opinions that are really driven by narratives that have it's narrative-based things where like, oh, this is just a popular opinion that's being driven and hyped up. There's nothing really backing it up except, oh yeah, that makes sense. Or maybe there's a couple of talking heads talking about it. So to be contrarian of those types of popular narratives... That's a good way to identify sleepers. And then also another way is when like there's inputs that are being overweighted or weighted incorrectly, like athleticism for wide receivers, landing spot is being cared about way too much. That's how that jumps off the page for me is who's the wide receiver, Todd, for Buffalo last year? Gabriel Davis. He jumps off the page because everyone thought that landing spot was terrible, even though he had a pretty good production profile, injury concerns, size concerns, and league trend like these trendy little things that have some merit, but they're just trends. They're not like hard and true, like uh, theories or facts or anything like that. Like uh, the idea that, oh, wide receivers don't do well when they change teams. Yeah, because a lot of the history of those wide receivers haven't been good wide receivers changing teams. Good wide receivers like a Stephon Diggs and DeAndre Hopkins, those good, those players, you know, you can identify those kind of, those kind of narratives can be identified and you can go against that and be, and identify fallacies and just being contrarian. I think that's how to identify sleepers. Yeah, totally, man. I mean, I think like that Dave goes in that my, my process is a little more fluid. I I find guys that I just tend to watch film on. I really like some things I see about them. And then if I feel like their ADP is going to be below the second round, that's one of my guys. Lynn Bowden was a guy for me like that. Antonio Gandy-Golden was another guy like that who popped in for him. 
both lo- actually we both kind of like those both those players. I think you were we a little did. higher on Andy Golden, but we both love Lim Bowden. Yeah, and, and I also I also think AGG AGG was hurt, man. Like we, I, I I think that he's a guy that you can essentially get for free, and he still has a chance. That's those are the kind of guys that I look at. Like I, I like the way that Dave kind of goes about it. You know, it's a little bit more of a process for me. It it's such a gut play, man. Like you know, it's a guy that I really like for whatever reason, and he's cheap. They're cheap. If you're gonna say to me like, oh. Javante Williams is such a sweeper at the 110. Like, that's not a sweeper. That's value. Uh, a sweeper is somebody who you're not going to need to spend a ton of capital in, and they might just blow that that investment out of the water. That's just what a sweeper is. So, David, on that note. Actually, Todd, I have a quick counter question for you. Sure. So these sleepers, sometimes they're these they're late round picks. They take a while to develop. Is there a time? Is, it this, is this a roster dependent thing or a team dependent thing? How long are you willing to give on these sleepers? That is such a good question, dude. I think it's dependent on definitely your roster by roster construction. Like if you're in a shallow league, like if you're rostering less than 25 players, and yeah, these are probably guys that aren't worth targeting. If you got over 30 spots or especially a taxi, this is these are the kind of guys that are perfect for the taxi squad. You got to be able to have that spot for development. I usually secure about two spots in our league, which we run about 28 guys, right, Dave? Our week has 28? Yep. Yeah, so 28 guys. So I have like 26 players that I'm fully committed to being usable pieces. And then I usually have two pieces as my stashes. And it's kind of one of those things where I'll hold on to those guys as long as I can. But those are guys that are cuttable during your year if you need to get rid of them because there's a usable piece on the wire and you're in a run. It just makes the process a little easier about making that move too. So yeah, you stash those guys in your taxi, which is perfect. Deeper roster, you know, you have a better chance of doing that. And shallow, have that guy, but be be willing to let go if there's a piece on there that's going to help you win now and you have a chance. Yeah, it totally depends on roster construction and format. But that was a great question. And just kind of to build on that a little bit, Todd, I, I agree with everything you said. I think I'll be, I treat positions a little bit differently too, where if I'm investing in a tight end later in drafts, I go into that thinking that I'm probably going to hold on to them for a little bit because tight ends take a little bit longer. Now, I'm not going to hold on to them for three or four years, but I'm going to at least try to give them a season or two off seasons, like their rookie off season and then their year two off season to try to build some buzz before I move on because you, that's part of the investment. You're, you're trying to hold on to them or maybe move them in a deep, I'm not necessarily going to cut them. I'm more willing to move them in a deal than just flat out dropping them. And then running backs, I'm I'm more likely to move on from because you usually see, except for rare circumstances, you see them running backs. If they don't hit in year one or year two, they're not going to become at least fantasy relevant where you're going to be upset that you moved on from them because the opportunity cost of holding on to them. But wide receivers sometimes can take a little bit longer to develop. So that's t- sometimes why I don't necessarily go for a lot of these late wide receivers because of the, the the length it takes them to break out. So that's kind of just a little little spice, Todd, to the sleeper conversation. I absolutely agree with that. That's phenomenal points, uh, particularly with the running back piece. With the tight end piece, I feel like the tight ends, like those sweepers, that's a taxi play. Those are perfect taxi because those are guys that, you know, usually get a year or two in your taxi. And those are players that are going to develop. Both Bryant's, Hunter and Harris, and Bryce Hopkins were those three guys for me that were like, fantastic taxi t- tight end choice. And I think that they all have chances to actually do something this year. Well, Hunter Bryant's got to play behind Hawkins. But yeah, still, good call. So Dave, you want to kick us off for your first sleeper? Yeah, and this actually was a player who I got actually a little 
little kickback on the old tweet machine was Seth Williams, who's got a DLF ADP of around 28, so mid mid third round, essentially. So with Seth Williams, we thought he was a year older, and then we had a change of his birthday age. And so he's a younger, he's going to be an early declare. He's going to be an earlier breakout, 19 breakout instead of 20. There's a, a lot changed for Seth Williams, so I'm not sure if ADP's quite caught up to him yet, but I'm still seeing him go in mid-third round after that news has dropped. So I think Seth Williams is a nice little play where that's kind of like the surrounding story of why I, I kind of like that, why a little bit of a change for Seth Williams for me. Seth Williams eclipsed the 30% breakout age threshold at 19, and he had over a 30% dominator during his age 19 and 20 seasons, and he wasn't too heavily weighted in the TD department, which can be a false sign relatively balanced, and he passed important thresholds in the yards per team attempt. And he's w- and a thing that's actually a nice little con- contextual clue, he was way more efficient than his teammates in yards per reception. So he's a lot more efficient than the other receivers on his team at Auburn. And he's sli- like, if you look at successful wide receivers historically, like top 24 wide receivers, he's slightly less productive than them, but well within the margin of error. error. So, and he... Far, uh, he outproduces wide receivers that are historically from the SEC conference. And the big thing I haven't got to yet, Todd, he's one of the rare, bigger wide receivers in this class. And some of the knocks on him that I got when I mentioned, hey, he's just a, when I said that his age changed and I got attacked by a bunch of film people, they said like, oh, but he can't get separation. He's like Nikhil Harry. I was like, okay, I think you're really like, yeah, separation. I understand what you're trying to say, but I think you're overweighting that a little bit because there's other ways to win in the NFL. Just be sides gaining separation there you know it's not like people can't big wide receivers can't succeed anymore todd so i think that's a little bit too critical people of, of him and he i believe his quarterback todd isn't and that offense at auburn isn't that great passing the ball so low nick sucks so i think you got to put you have to put that into context and just so all that's a, the big picture is and pulling that all together i'm i'm doing a mock draft for a podcast i'm going on in a couple weeks and the way, the way I set it up is that I was taking every other pick and then the, so I had basically every other pick in a rookie mock I was taking. And so when that happened, you get a lot of, you know, all of your players get boosted up in ADP. I ended up taking Seth Williams at 209. And that's if every player essentially in every pick was what, how I want it to be. So that's how I'm really assessing where I'm taking Seth Williams, but that's not where the community is taking him. I really like his value in the third round. I love this pick. So I, I'm one of those people that will say that I do think he needs to work on his separation. I don't think it's a reason to avoid him, but I think that that's part of the reason why he's getting pushed down. But and also let's remember that like players get better too. Like like they like he is going to improve with Seth Williams. Like the first thing that like when I think about him is that he's a really good athlete for a guy who's six three two ten. Dude, I mean he's a big target. Superior strength. He knows how to use his body. Super aggressive physical player. Um, he's excels in contested catch situations, and he knows how to make great adjustments with his bodies to adjust to poorly thrown balls because that's all that Bo Nix throws. He's got insanely strong hands. He's the kind of guy that a lot on film he'll show up with defenders just draped on him, and he's just hauling in the ball, and the ball's not moving. He's great body control, like I already said. He'll be a nightmare in the red zone if he's utilized the right way. He definitely needs to work on the separation, the footwork, and all that kind of stuff. He's not exceptionally quick, but, you know, he's got enough to, to you know, to get by, you know? 
Um, the one thing that bothered me about Seth Williams is now, granted, I'm talking about him playing against Patrick Sertan, who's probably gonna be the first corner to get in this draft. He really struggled to hit against on, with him against the press. So I really like to have seen him, you know, not get jammed up against uh, a defender like that, and because that's something he'll have to be able to overcome in the NFL. But I think the thing about Seth Williams is the the price is totally right for him right now. And what his ceiling could be to pair to what you're investing in him, he's an excellent sweeper choice, Dave. Excellent. I love the way you started that off. I don't think he's going to be... Do I think he's going to be a top 24 wide receiver in the NFL? I I know. Maybe not. Definitely a, a wide receiver four or five on a fantasy squad, easily. And that's kind of what I'm hoping for. Essentially trying to get any return on value at this point in, this, in the draft. If you can get a usable flex out of the third round, you hit. And Seth Williams absolutely could use a usable flex in the NFL. With touchdown upside, too. So I'll take that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. Loved it, Dave. All right. I'm just squeaking over our line with my first choice because I feel he still warrants that. So I'm going to start off with Pat Fryermuth. Uh, out of Penn State, the tight end, the uh, DLF ADP, it was 24.1, so he's just over the line. Uh, and my Superflex rankings, he was the 22nd ranked over, overall player and the tight end too. So before I say this, I want all my listeners to take a deep breath because I do believe that Kyle Pitts is a mid-first-round pick in rookie draft. But there's a world where Pat Fryermuth could be a better pro than <gasps> Shocking off. So, um, I mean, I I love Pitts, man. Like, I would totally invest with him, like, mid, late, first-round capital. But Pat Fryermuth has the model build for a tight end. 6'5", 260, excellent blocker, fantastic athlete for his size, very strong hands, a physical, dominant play style, a true leader. He He was a captain for Penn State as a sophomore, runs tight, sharp routes, good yak ability, Hell of a red zone threat. Phenomenal in contested situations. He's the kind of athlete and player and blocker that he'll line up in the H-back, the slot, on the line. And because of his dominance as a blocker, versatility and usage means you're going to see the field more. Now let's just talk about his production, man. Played all 13 games as a true freshman at Penn State as a tight end. That's so impressive to be able to be ready as a true freshman at a position that requires you to know a lot of different things for that playbook. And he had eight touchdowns and was a freshman All-American. Comes back, has seven TDs as a sophomore. Now, keep in mind, all Penn State tight end, all the Penn State QBs suck, too. So he's doing this with that, and they're a run-heavy team. You're looking at a guy that's probably going to demand second-round draft capital uh, in the actual NFL draft. So landing stock, depending, man, he really has the potential to be a top 12 tight end sooner than later. And this is just a snippet, but I'm going to give a plug to one of my favorite pieces of this. And it's Matt Hicks and John Lab series on the rookie big boards, their videos. I love their Fryer Muth video. It's outstanding. Brandon was June did a great episode in the rookie fever on the Fryer Muth, correct? Dave? I was just about to drop that. Yeah. Yeah. Todd. Fryer Muth, man, there is a world where Fryer Muth could be better than Pitts. I'm not saying it's going to happen, I'm saying it's feasible, <laughs> you know, and Fryermuth is phenomenal value. Uh, I, yeah, Dave, I'm getting excited. Jump in. I like what you're saying there, Todd. I just think that people forget one, one thing 
is that when you say he could be better, that's I said that, and that's not like you're predicting it, but last year, remember, I said multiple times, at least five or six times throughout this the the offseason last year, where I said I would not be surprised if Cam Akers was one of the top running backs in this class. Even though we, I had him ranked as four or five, we both said, Todd, we said, hey, I wouldn't be shocked if he was the the running back one, two, or three. And look what happened. It, it's not crazy, Todd. Once you actually see them play in the NFL and their situation, their quarterback play, other things happen. So I understand what you're trying to say there. Now, I do have one question for you because I'm listening to your commentary and it felt a little more NFL driven than fantasy driven. It sounds like you're talking more about how he would be as an NFL tight end versus a fantasy tight end. Do you see fantasy upside for Fryermuth? That's an excellent point. And I think with tight ends, you have to kind of think of it that way. Because for NFL upside, tight ends need to see the field. And Fryermuth is a fantastic receiver, right? He, but he's going to see the field more because of how great of a blocker he is. I just want to see him get snaps. The more snaps he has, the more opportunity he has to be on the field, right? And he's the kind of guy that I could see coming out of the backfield, out of the H-back, running, running a little like flat route run and just hitting the pile on, on a little dive. He's the guy that they're going to be able to drop it short, and he's going to be able to ram it home on a short yardage situation on that. He's also, he had, I want to say, John Lab dropped this stat, 18 to 19 catches over 20 yards in his career. That's really good, man, for a tight end of that size. So he can stretch the field too. So there's 100% fantasy upside here. But for a tight end, they have to be NFL ready to see the field, right? So that is really what the key is here. So I totally get where you're coming from. And you're right, because that's the way that I view tight end. I know that that's a position because they, they need time to develop because they're asked to do so much. But Friar Muth is so well developed that he'll start playing on day one, man. He's that good, that smart. And he's that versatile. So yes, I see upside in every sort of context of Friar Move. So I, one thing that I've heard, and I know you're you 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 know you're you're the film guy out of, out of this tandem we have here on this rivalry. What do you think of the criticism that Friar Muth has trouble getting separation at the top of his routes, so that he sometimes gets caught up on the defender? Have you heard that? Yeah, I have. I mean, it definitely could be an area of improvement. I think it's a little overblown. I mean, when you got a guy that's getting. 19 20 yard catches on a run dominant team with a QB that's really a running QB in Clifford. Trace McSorley was the other one who's essentially just a running QB too. I also kind of feel like when people are talking about separation, if unless you're watching all 22 film, you're watching guys catching up to him too. You know what I mean? So it doesn't really concern me too much. And the other thing too is that like when people start like really honing in on the separation piece, I get that if you're like investing like first round capital. You know what I mean? But it doesn't really concern me too much. And the top of your routes, like, I'm not, like, not looking for, like, a 30-yard freaking seam route from Fryermuth, man. Like, that's not what I'm looking for here. And he can do that. But no, I'm not too, too concerned about it. I like that you brought up Fryermuth. I've had a feeling that these, the second tier of tight ends in this class, the people, they're all really honed in on Pitts. And I think there's still a hangover from last year about being a poor tight end class that I, my original hope was that there wouldn't be as many people into the set, the, the, the Brevin Jordan and Friar Muth here. But what I've seen is, is that that's not the case. It, I, it comes down to me, Todd, do I want a Dimey Brown or a Friar Muth? Do I want a Seth Williams or a Friar Muth or do I want a Tillon Wass or Friar Muth? And so I get, 
it gets difficult for me where I want, but I definitely like Frymouth as a prospect and as a player that I think he's going, I think he's definitely going to be in the mix to be a fantasy relevant tight end. So I, and what I mean, okay, let me rephrase that by fantasy relevant. I think he's going to be in the top 12 mix. I don't know how high he's going to go, but I need some more input like draft capital and that to see how high the NFL is on him. But yeah, I think Pratt Farmus is a name that we haven't talked about yet. And I'm glad you brought him up here, Todd. Yeah. And, and I totally get that. I'm glad you put him into that, to those same wide receivers, because that's where he belongs. And I think the capital will be there. I need to see his landing spot with that, uh, where he goes. I'm glad you dropped uh, Brevin Jordan. I actually had Brevin Jordan as a tight end uh, two last month, and I just put Friermuth over him. So those guys are pretty close. But let's put it this way, Dave. Let's Wait a second. The de- oh, the huh? Devi guy who's had so many years to figure this out just changed his mind. Why? Whoa! I thought Devi guy's supposed to have all the answers. <laughs> I've probably flipped those two like a thousand times back and forth. So <laughs> I probably could have picked Brevin Jordan and done him too, man. They're both great. I just think that I, I, I think Fryermuth's size is like the tipping point for me. And I just, honestly, I just like his play style more. That the, It's the fan in me, I think, that's just eventually just picking that one for me. But here, here's my scenario for you, Dave, all right? You miss out on Fryermuth in the second round because you go ahead and you say to yourself, Tywin Wallace, Fryermuth. I like the landing, so I like the capital Frymouth in that landing spot. Uh, but you know, I'm a, I'm a Wallace guy. Wallace is my guy. Wallace, no matter what, a piece of paper. Grab Wallace, but you need that tight end, right? What you should be doing is in a late round trying to get Hunter Long. I think Hunter Long is a phenomenal deep dive tight end with third round. Actually, it's more like fourth round capital. I think he was going around like pick forty in the deal in the deal off ADP. That's a great pick too. Hunter Long is going to be a very good target later in draft. I really like that call. And that's kind of the thing is where, oh man, I was excited to get Firemuth, but maybe he's a little too expensive because like you said, he's right on the fringe there. But Hunter Long, I think he's probably going to exceed some draft capital expectations for what a lot of fancy managers think is going to happen. So I like that call a lot, Todd. Hunter Long is that value stash at tight end that I get excited about. Gracias, sir. Hey, why don't you drop us your second uh, sleeper for us, bud? All right. My second sleeper is Kylan Hill, running back, Mississippi State, I believe. Really interesting profile for me. I'm really weird with my running backs this year. I'm not crazy about these top running backs yet. I get excited. I go in spurts for ETN where I like them a lot. Then I cool and I like them a lot. I just need some draft capital. I need to figure out his draft capital ASAP. I I think I'm right with the rest. I'm not a... Najee Harris. I, I just found out how to say his name recently. Najee Harris. I just found, I like, I think I'm right where he should be valued. Like I'm at 105 in Superflex. I don't believe in the Najee at 101, 102, 103. I don't buy that, but I, I'll take him at 105 where his ADP is. But besides that, I'm not Javante Williams. I'm more of a back end first, beginning of the second guy. So I'm blowing her on him. And then it gets to, I'm not, I'm out a lot of these, the second, the, the typical second tier, Todd, the Kenny Gainwells. Michael Carter, uh, Jamar Jefferson, who's kind of faded from that group. But uh, Chuba Hubbard, I still like, but he's more of the back of the second round, Not doesn't really qualify for this conversation here. Kylan Hill, for me, meets a lot of my requirements. And I've actually been hearing a lot more buzz about him recently. What I really like about Kylan Hill is, Todd, from a production standpoint, he carried the load a little bit, not, not, not like an uber you know, carries guy, but he had 18.6 attempts per game in a season. He had three seasons where he had 22 receptions, 18 receptions. And then last year, he had 23 receptions. And I think 
in in four games before he set out the rest of the year. Really, I, I love that receiving upside. I, you know, I'm, that's my thing with these running backs. I like them to have the size and the receiving ability. And he's at 214 pounds. His pro day was 45740. That meets the requirements. And he's got solid missed tackle numbers, according to PFF. There's a lot to like about Kylan Hill, but the big thing is I like where he's going at value-wise, and I like the receiving upside based on his size, Todd. I think he's going to be a day-two pick. Maybe probably not. I'm not saying he's going to be a a round two or three guy, but maybe around, I think round four still in in day two, I think. But I I think I like the upside of Kylan Hill for his cost. Yeah, I like Kylan Hill a lot on film, man. Very powerful player, lowers the helmet, likes to give a blow. He's a very physical, aggressive player, super fast, I mean, for that. He's a good athlete, man. The The knock on Hill has always been like, there's been some character things about that, but at that ADP, like, who cares? And when you say character, Todd, was it, it sounded like he didn't like how he was being used at times, right? He essentially just quit after, like, those games. And he didn't like the way that he was being utilized. He was kind of being like, you know, part of a committee at times. I kind of feel like his one big knock in his profile coming out of college was whether he could catch the ball consistently. So he catches 23 passes in four games. It just says I'm good. So so people say that about him, but why aren't they saying about that Terrace Marshall at all, Todd? That's fair, man. That's a totally yeah, fair hey, thing. I, totally I'm, I'm stumping fair. for my sleeper here, Todd. Yeah. Stumping for him. I This is... Let me put it this way. I'm more speaking to the masses. That's not something with me. I, oh, yeah, Todd. I, I understand we're, we're just uh, yeah. being each other's straw mans here. Let me put it this way. From a Debbie standpoint, this would be something I would concern about George Pickens. Because George Pickens, I might have to put a first-round draft pick in. You know what I mean? Kylan Hill, I'm going to put in third-round capital. I'm okay with some character issues and seeing if I hit there. That's, that's where I'm okay with that. Whatever. I don't care if you're, like, a team guy or not by the third round. Are you good? Are you talented? Can you find an opportunity to take to take advantage? And Hill Hill has the profile to do it. That's a great pick, Dave. I like it. Well, all right, now here's a question for you about Hill. Where are you targeting him in drafts? Late second, early third. For Bingo. Sure. Same here. I'm. I, I that was what I wanted to. Know. I want to know how early. I'm going late second too. That I yeah. I, I like how we're on the same page there. Yeah, I, I think honestly too. And the funny thing about Hill is, it's kind of like when you say that late second, early third. You're like, well, I mean, how could he be that good if you're not willing to pay up? That's more of a like, and I told you this, Dave, I told you this in the 2020 class, that this 2021 class might not be as top it is as that 2020 class was, but it's deeper. This is an extremely deep class. And that's why a guy like Kylan Hill isn't like an early second round pick like he would be in a lot of other drafts. You're like at the end of the second round of this draft, you're getting a guy that typically would be an early second in other class. I'm having a little bit too much fun with this, Todd, so I got some more off-the-cuff questions for you about Kylan Hill. Who would you rather have at their ADP? Kenny Gainwell or Michael Carter or Kylan Hill? Which one you'd rather have out of those three? It's not a straight answer for me. So with Gainwell, if Gainwell, I think Gainwell gets second round, we'll say second round capital, and he lands in a spot that I like for him, right? I'm going to want to go, I'm going to want to invest in Gainwell there. I, I, I'm, I'm a believer in Gainwell. Now, Carter or Hill at their ADP, I'll go with Hill. But I do like Carter. I don't want people to think I'm a Carter hater. I just like the idea of like where Carter's sitting, you're going to be able to invest in a lot of wide receivers or a fire move that I really like. And then I can wait until 
the third, like early third or trade into that to go get a Kylan Hill. So yeah, I'll go Hill there. Hill offers the best value, but Gainwell's ceiling, man, it, it's just juicy. And I'm I'm not one of those people buying into all the different things about his athleticism. Like Gainwell's special, man. I like Gainwell a lot. Interesting. So my biggest issue is that I am the you when you say second round capital for for Gainwell, that's a little jaw dropping for me. I'm assuming worst case scenario for these running backs. I don't think any running back goes round one. I don't. I think the the what we consider the top tier go round two and three, and then I'm consider. And then after that, it's who. I, that's how low I am on this running back class. So I think I'm thinking more third round for Gainwell. And I guess that we're splitting hairs here, but I am the way I'm approaching it, Todd, is that I'm avoiding all of those mid tier running backs, and I'd rather and I'd rather take the wide receivers in that in that in all wide receivers in the second round, and then rather get Kyle Hill in the third round than worry about uh, trying to pick out those running backs in the second round. And I don't blame you at all, man. Like I said, what Gainwell is, I need to see the capital, which I think will be like a late second round pick, and I want to see where he lands. I want to see what system he's in. And I think Gainwell's got a special skill set, but I, I do want to see what system he's a part of. Yeah, I'm a Gainwell believer, but like, like he's a guy that to justify his ADP, I need that information to justify it. But, but I'm a believer in the talent. Yeah, I think this is before the NFL draft. Once the NFL draft answers these questions, I'll reassess. But that's just where I'm approaching it now. Todd, totally. totally. We spent a lot of time on Cowan Hill. I'm excited to hear about your second sleeper is. All right. So my second sleeper, is probably my my favorite sweeper in this class. So it's Jonathan Adams Jr. out of Arkansas State, wide receiver. His DLF ADP wasn't even listed. So I have it at 29 point uh, plus. I mean, excuse me, 49 plus. So he wasn't even on the ADP. He's my number 30 player overall in Superflex and my wide receiver 12. So this is my guy. This is my flag pin. This is my, my guy territory for my ranking. I'm taking him over Eskridge. I'm taking him over Surratt. I'm taking him over Atwell, Terry, and Tony. The size, the athleticism, the production, the film. I love this guy. Dave, this guy put on 55 pounds of muscle. His 247 sports profile, he was listed at 185 coming out of high school. He's 6'3", 230 now. Runs a four. 5740 and a 39 inch vertical looks insanely fluid with outstanding speed and unreal body control for a man of that stature he's an elite vertical threat and a jump ball option given impressive leaping ability he's an excellent timing at catching the ball regularly catching at the highest point and is like just this exceptional strength to just bully off defenders in those situations and he just in an aggressive style where he's just trying to like pretty much tell them that's my ball. Excellent back shoulder catcher who shows out like I said, the body control just really well with the balls that aren't thrown perfectly and a pair of incredibly strong hands in contested situations. Woo! Get excited. So let's talk about the numbers a little bit here, Dave. I would say that he broke out. Now, I know, I don't use the metrics that Dave says like what a breakout is. For me, he broke out as a junior. 62 catches, 851 yards and 5 TDs. Those numbers are even more impressive to know that he was sharing targets with Omar Bayless and Kurt Merritt, who are both now an NFL roster. So those guys move on. And now we're looking at him in 2020 as the alpha. He becomes Sunbelt Player of the Year. 79 receptions, 1,111 receiving yards, and 12 TDs in 10 games. 
That's good enough for top five in the nation in receptions, receiving yards, and TDs while leading the Sun Belt in all three categories. So, Sun Belt, crappy conference, right? Okay, put up three TDs on Kansas State. That's a Big 12 team. And they won that game, 35-31. So now, he goes off, becomes the second straight Arkansas State player to be a PFF All-American. Bayless was the last one last year. And he was a semifinalist with the Cough Award. This profile shows a small school kid who's being ignored that dynasty owners should not be sleeping on. I love Jonathan Adams. I'm willing to pay up in the third round for him just so I don't miss him in the fourth. Todd, very passioned, well thought out, brought the fire with Jonathan. That's, you know, that's what this sleeper stuff's all about, Todd. I talked about this process for sleepers. Look, it's all about having a little bit of a spark, a little bit of that rookie fever, if you will. And I could hear it in your voice, Jonathan Adams, which I appreciate. Now, a couple of things. I agree with you. His size, definitely good size. And that's kind of the one thing that jumped out to me first. And then I looked at when you said his teammates, you're right. He was competing against Jalen Waddle, Jerry Judy, Devonta Smith, and Henry Ruggs. So that made a lot of sense why he didn't break out until his senior year. <laughs> Shut up, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, oh, God. I'm sorry. Put up good numbers with two guys who made the NFL at Arkansas State, bro. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I I agree. He did have some competition. And it wasn't like, I think Omar Bayless came out of nowhere his senior year. At least, now Jalen Dartle, or not Dartle, Jonathan I think, Adams. I, I think Bayless was the Juco transfer, by the way. Yeah. And well, at least Jonathan Adams didn't, at least Jonathan Adams didn't uh, come out of nowhere. He at least showed a little bit of life and contributed to that offense as a junior. Now. For me, he just doesn't meet the production standards. I don't care about that late bur- that late production, that last year breakout. Just doesn't it doesn't meet the what I care about now. But where he's going, Todd, in the fourth round, sure, I'll take. There's not a lot. It's getting tougher and tougher to, tougher to pick out these wide receivers in the fourth round. I, I don't hate the pick. I, spe- I don't hate the pick at all. I think he's a good name. He's got some interesting the size. I think the NFL is going to like him, Todd. I think he he's probably a day three guy. So I, I like where we're going here. Not necessarily my type of guy, but I I respect the case you made. And there are things to like about his his production, even though he doesn't kind of meet exactly what I'm looking for. That's totally fair. And I respect that. Like he doesn't he doesn't have those those metrics that you look for. And I that's cool, man. This is such an eye test for me, man. I mean, I feel like the numbers support what I'm seeing on film to justify it for me. And I think that's where it is. It's a little, conf- you know, a little confirmation bias for you. I'll even admit that. But I've been burned so many times from like the Sun Belt, Todd. It feels like like these small conferences. <laughs> I get no. killed. Yeah. Where I'm a little jaded now. I'm just a little jaded. I, I totally get it, man. I mean, essentially, like what the ADP is telling us, he should be free. He should be able to be there in the fourth round. And I think he's a guy that I think he'll be a usable piece. Do I think he's gonna be like? You know, like you say, like I, a top 24 wide receiver, probably not. But I do think he has a chance to be a good player in the NFL to to show something. I felt the same way with Kurt Merritt. Maybe I'm wrong. But the thing about it is, that's why I like this kind of a sleeper. This is a guy to get excited about, invest in, not spend a lot of capital in. You're going to be able to trade like fat bucks for a fourth round pick to go get this guy. And I actually believe in him. So I like this one. And my, my next guy's in. A similar, uh, a similar fashion. But what's your your third guy? 
So my next player is a player that does not fit my build whatsoever, like my prototype for a running back at all. It's Javian Hawkins, running back out of Louisville. I did a rookie profile with Dave Cabin from Rotoviz, and I really enjoyed talking to Dave. And I really just like the approach and the profile for Javian Hawkins. Now, Javian Hawkins is smaller. I think he's he came in at what one eighty five, I believe, Todd. Which is yep. you know me. I like him over two oh five. I like him fat, like fast, big, can carry the work load. Now, Javian Hawkins did have a twenty average over twenty carries a game two years ago, and then I think sixteen or eighteen carries per game last season. So even despite his smaller size, he definitely could handle the workload. So that's kind of I can mitigate that a little bit with with that that he could he handled the workload in at Louisville. Now, what I really like about J, uh, Javian Hawkins is he leads the class in backfield dominator rating, which is the percentage of backfield production. And this is a Blair Andrews thing. Uh, this is a Blair Andrews stat over at Rotoviz that he really hypes up. It's really effective at identifying under the radar stars like Philip Lindsay and Aaron Jones in the past, where there wasn't a lot of other things to really identify these guys. But backfield dominator rating was one of them. And it's one of the, the problem with running back metrics, Todd, is that where I never tell you like, oh, this dominator or this, this fancy stat, we should go look to that is, is because production metrics for running backs aren't very predictive in the NFL, except, uh, backfield dominator rating is actually beats draft capital when predicting running back success, especially these later running backs. So it's, that's, what's exciting about this metric. He leads in that. And what I like about the metric too is that it doesn't just talk about it. Sometimes there's offenses that are very run centric where it inflates some of these counting stats. You look at it as a whole, as a, as the percentage of the offense and you can't, you don't get tricked by that. And then it's not just the one stat with Javion Hawkins either. He has, who was one of the leaders in the breakaway rush score, which talks about big playability. It's got a little decent speed. Not as much as I thought he'd have, but decent speed for running back. And the big red flag, I think, besides size for him that people are, I think that's the big thing is people don't like his size. Also though, he didn't, he only had 16 receptions. I think was his high for a receiving total. The Louisville just did not target running backs at all. It, was, it just did not match their system. So I think it's in his repertoire. He just didn't demonstrate that. And he's most likely going day three, which is another reason why I think people aren't into him, but I think he's a cheaper discounted version of Tariq Cohen. That's kind of how I view him. He's a value in PPR formats where if I think he finds that receiving role, maybe a, a a special teams role, gets his way, gets some opportunity, flashes, I think he's gonna could be a flex option in PPR formats down the road. Yeah, man. And, and his, uh, retro, uh, that retro freshman year where he went for over 1,500 yards for Louisville in the nine TDs, you know, he was a Debbie pickup for me. I, I ended up, like, trading, like, a late, like, um, like freshman draft pick for him. And, like, it, it was a good investment there, and he was a good producer for, like, the C2C week. But the thing when I watched him was, I actually felt like he showed some flashes of being able to be a good receiver. So if you want to, let's put it this way. He had four catches after having 264 rushing attempts for Louisville. The next year, he drops to 133 attempts, but then he gets 16 catches. So they're trying to start throwing him the ball and using him in that fashion. So, because you could see the potential there. So I actually feel like, yeah, he doesn't hit those numbers, but on film, it looks like he could do that. So that's what they're saying, Todd. That's that's yeah. kind of the feeling I got is that he it's, yeah. sometimes just systems don't use a player like they should. And I think that I'm glad that you see it as well, Todd. That's not, that confirms kind of what I'm feeling on the uh, on from the metrics. Yeah. So he was a guy that I was targeting. So like I'm in a Debbie league. Essentially, what it does is if the guy's not a, a, a true freshman, 
or going to be an incoming sophomore, you can't pick up the player in that freshman draft. And then it becomes part of the supplemental draft when they eventually become draft eligible. So that like, so Javante Williams, Trey Lance, uh, Jamie Newman, those are all guys in our draft pool. And Javion Hawkins is one of the guys that I was targeting. Granted, I traded those picks, but Javion Hawkins was definitely somebody who was sticking out to me in that. And a guy I had my eye on and he definitely stood out to me. So he's a guy I've been following for a couple of years now, Dave. So I like this pick a lot. He is easily, Todd, I had him at will most of the time in fourth rounds of drafts. I've been in quite a few rookie drafts at this point at will in the fourth round. And then sometimes if all my guys are gone, Cowan Hill, my wide receivers are gone. I'm totally fine with taking him in the mid to late third. No problem when there's nothing else around. I'm more willing to take these running backs in this range instead of the second round, the third round, they don't hit in that first year or show me anything. I drop them, pick them up for waiver wire off the, so for someone else off the waiver wire and re-roll it or something else next year in the rookie draft. That's kind of how I'm feeling about these rookie, these running backs later in the draft. So uh, Duchesne's uh, one of our buds, uh, has a great group for uh, mock drafts that Dave left because he's a diva. When I'm, I, you did leave it and you're a diva. I did leave it, yes. Yeah, because you're a diva. You're, you're too good for people now. Mike Clay followed you. All of a sudden, you're big timing us. Oh, God. <laughs> so... Um, so I, I've done a bunch of those mocks, and I've drafted Hawkins in the fourth round for that. And there's a lot of smart dudes in those drafts. There's always at least two or three comments saying how much they like that Hawkins pick. So a lot of people like really see the value in that. So this isn't just like something that we're sharing. Like I'm seeing it in other places. So Hawkins is definitely a good target in fourth rounds. That's a great pick, Dave. All right, Dave, you ready for my last guy? I am because this is an intriguing one. I think this is my, I, I like this sleeper a lot for you. So uh, my last pick is uh, Jalen Darden, wide receiver out of North Texas. So his uh, DOF ADP is 46.8. He's my 35th overall player. He's the wide receiver 16 for me in my rankings. Jalen said the best about about himself. Slow feet don't eat. And if that's the case, this guy never goes hungry. I'm talking elite elusiveness. The guy is an expert at making people miss with eye-popping agility and quickness. Another phenomenal quote from him, making someone miss is like waking up in the morning and brushing my teeth. I got to do it every day. The guy cuts on a dime whenever he wants and possesses this unbelievable ability to accelerate and hit top speed to exploit any crease in the defense and into like a huge gain and possibly six points on any touch. His juke looks like something out of a Madden football game. He is a special, special athlete whose feet never start moving. The amount of tackles that he makes people miss is unreal. I don't care if you're a film guy, a, st- a numbers guy, whatever. Just do yourself a favor and just go watch a Jalen Darden highlight film because it's just fun for a football fan. It's just fun. And the other thing about it is I feel like you can see him utilized as like a lethal return special. But let's get into the numbers a little bit. Sophomore year, comes out, 48 catches for 575 yards and four TDs. Modest. But he's behind playing behind Rico Boosie, who I think that year broke, led the NCAA in receiving that year, and Jalen Guyton, who's now is a guy who kind of broke out a little bit for San Diego this year. Fast forward to the next year, junior year, roll ups a little bit, 76 catches, 736 yards, 12 TDs. All right, we broke out here now. Senior year, took his game to that next level, 74 catches, 1,190 yards and 19 touchdowns. 
So this is a guy that has consistently performed for three years in football. Granted, two great years, and then that first year where he was actively involved with two guys that eventually ended up in the NFL as well. What's the knock on him? He's 5'9 and 175 pounds. His frame. It's the concern. And he's not going to break tackles because he doesn't need to. He's going to make people miss, man. You aren't spending more than a late third or an early fourth at most on one hell of an athlete. This guy is my Leatherberry, Dave. This is my boy. My Leatherberry. Love it. Well, Todd, again, you brought the energy, and I think I'm going to match it with match it a little bit with you. I do get a little excited because this is one of the one of the check marks where people are really discounting him for his size. The NFL is not we're not in the mid 2000s anymore, Todd, where Des Bryant is going up and dominating cornerbacks. No, there's it's a different NFL. Calvin Ridley's successful. There's different types of wide receiver prototypes that you can be. And as the NFL continues to evolve, there's a place for Jalen Darden's out there. Now, do how high can he go? I don't know. But I there are things to like. He breaks out in that junior year, which is at least promising. Now, I, I, I get a little nervous because it's still a little bit of a later breakout at a smaller school like North Texas. How I, There are things to like about him. I like getting him. I think, Todd, you... I think you can get him in the fifth round a lot of places easily because of the size concerns. There's he's definitely a, a decent he's when we're playing the sleeper game, Todd, I hear all I hear what you're saying with Darden. And he feels like he has a little bit of that wide receiver mentality, that little that diva a little bit in him, which you gotta give a tip of your hat because you're out on an island, baby. You gotta get it done. I'm sorry, those quotes weren't enough. That's what I'm saying. I'm telling so, you, man. I'm so, saying. So I gotta feet don't eat. Love it, dude. That's what I'm saying, man. There's. That's what I. I have never heard of that from him at all. And I. And I, he's feels like he's got a little little wide receiver dog in him. I like it. I love it, man. And uh, by the way, the Leatherberry comment for those who don't understand is if you do a sleeper mock draft for rookies, Darden's not in the player pool. So I used this guy whose name was Leatherberry. I have no idea who Leatherberry is. So. If you're in a rookie draft, Leatherberry equals Darden. Hashtag it. I want this to trend. Sweeper, get on your game and get Darden in the draft pool. What's wrong? All right. David, we did it. It was a journey tonight, my friend. This is one of my favorite episodes of the year, Todd. Not a lot of talk is being done about these deeper guys. Actually, honestly, I've, I'm not sure if I've heard, besides on Rookie Fever, I have not heard a lot of people talking about these guys. Yeah, man, I, I haven't heard anybody drop anything on Darden, like, at all. And Jonathan Adams, I, I'm pretty sure uh, his ADP and him being added to the super pool is, I might be the, the key contributor to that because, yeah, I, I, I was harassed. So, <laughs> uh, David, tell them where they can find you, buddy. Find me at FF underscore Spaceman on Twitter. Uh, you can check out my Patreon for a bunch of free graphs. And also I have a, a patron-only NFL mo- database that, I'm excited to start doing a little bit more with after the NFL draft, a couple of projects planned with that. And definitely check me over on the Rookie Fever podcast. Having a blast since we've last recorded. I did one with Ryan McDowell. I did one that dropped today with Jarek Backus from Campus to Canton. Todd, one of your favorite uh, new formats, the campuscanton.com. Jarek Backus really had fun talking to him. Great we nerded mind. out. Great big, mind. We nerded out big time. Nerded out big time. So, and we actually talked a lot before and afterwards. So that was a lot of fun talking with Jarek. And obviously, Todd, so next week I'm going to be on vacation. So I'm not sure if we're recording. I'm, re- and that could talk a lot about fantasy and what I'm doing over at DLF for 
some other guest appearances that I'm doing. However, what I want to say is that it's been over a year, a year and a half since I have been home to Maine. I have not seen my grandparents, not seen my aunts and uncles. Uh, my, I am my grandparent, my grandfather's not doing well health-wise. I'm going to see my sister for the first time since 2019. Really excited to take some time off from the fantasy space and spend some time with the family because as we all know, Todd, during this pandemic, uh, and we haven't seen our family and friends as much. I am really looking forward to going to, to Maine the way life should be and spending some real quality time for an entire week with my family. So I am extremely excited to be doing that. I'm happy for you, buddy. Enjoy vacation land. So I am Todd Foster, and you can find me at FF underscore Banterman. I, you can find my writing over at the IDP guys. Uh, right now, I am working on running a series on a mock draft series. We're dropping round one, round two, round three, and a sleeper article, which is round four through six. That's a super flex, tight end premium, PPR, IDP draft. So IDP rookies, really not a space that's not a lot of information out there. We got some of the best minds in IDP uh, in that mock doing some analysis. Definitely check that out. Uh, rookie, uh, the IDP Rookie Guys magazine will be dropping right after the draft, so definitely uh, pre-order those. I got 12 profiles in there, some uh, writers, some phenomenal writers that are probably better than me. <laughs> Let's be honest. No. We'll see if uh, we get on the mics next week. We'll see if Sean Mike's works next week, or maybe I'll come on and just talk to myself. Otherwise, yeah, we'll, we'll see you on the airwaves soon enough, everybody. Happy trading. Tale Two Rivals out. Todd, what do you think one of the first things I'm excited to do when I get home to Maine? Besides see people, like what do you think that I said to my parents I want to do first? Mashed potato wrestle? No, no, that's only in July. Oh, okay, sorry, sorry. It's not the season. Uh, what do you think? Eat a lobster? No, no, no. Go to the lake. I- I'm not sure you're going to guess. It's going to be go to Tri-City Pizza in Bangor, Maine and get my pepperoni hamburger and mushroom light on the sauce pizza. Oh, it's it's. Why would I know that? You wouldn't know it. So my question why I bring it up is, one, I'm wicked excited to do it. I told my parents, I think we're going to have at least twice while I'm home because it's been a long time. Yep. And the ne- the next thing is, what is your ideal toppings on a pizza, Todd? Your go-to. Ooh. So, all right. My ideal toppings. So I'm going to go with my favorite slice. And it's from Antonio's in Amherst. And it's a steak mushroom pizza. So it's got creme fresh cheddar. Uh, marinated steak tip that's sliced and fresh mushrooms. Phenomenal. But that it, is actually that sound does sound really good. Yeah, dude. It's like this like phenomenal pizza by the place uh slice thing. It's literally next to like the bar that's the most like crowded bar at UMass Amherst, and like you just hit hot cheese up front for a dollar at like two AM. Yeah, fond memories. Todd but, uh, I'm actually a little disappointed in you now that I think about it. What? UMass won a national freaking championship. You didn't bring it up once? Yeah, that's a really good point, dude. Dude, we did, we did a rocking. last episode. We did a freaking fr- I did a Frozen Four breakdown, and you didn't even freaking bring up UMass today. Come on, I'm sorry, man. I was focused on football. Well, I also talked about basketball a lot. <laughs> that's true. My bad. Go, go, you.
Go you mass. Go you mass. Yeah, man, five nothing. They dominated. Dominated. Freaking exciting. Weren't they dealing with a bunch of COVID stuff too? They were. They were freaking impressive. Ah, it's awesome, dude. Awesome. Rep representing the hockey east, Todd. Representing the hockey east, baby.